Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Well, hi there, I'm Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Salt and it's uh, great to be here with you this morning. Um, keep those, those passages open, we'll work through those uh, a little bit later. But a uh, big welcome to you, particularly if you're visiting. Uh, we love that you're here. Uh, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. First Sunday of the year. Made it through a week. 51 to go. Um, I hope you had a good start to the year. Um, I had a pretty good start. I, had, um, I installed a new aerial port in the lounge room, which is, uh, which is good. It's been on the list for a year. And uh, we, we weren't able to get live TV through the aerial. We're just streaming, which is fine unless you want to watch sport, I realised. And so you, you go to Boxing Day, you turn it on, and Channel 9, you can't stream it through the app. And so anyway, I had to work out how to get an aerial from that side of the room to the other. And I drilled holes. I made holes in the wall that shouldn't have been there. I did all kinds of things, and I did it. And I plugged it in, and it worked, and it felt good. I felt happy. And now I feel like I could build a house, in fact. Um, I know what to do. So if you have any jobs, let me know. Um, it's, uh, it's easy. Um, I had that little dopamine hit when, you know, you do something. And it happened twice, actually. Plugged it in, got it working. Boom, dopamine. And then got the TV, scanned all the channels. Boom, again. Woof, felt good. Uh, and then half an hour later, I was like, oh, looking around at all the other things I had to do around the house and uh, felt a bit depressed. Um, but we love that feeling, though. We love that feeling of, of happiness, of achieving something, of doing something, of, of planning, and then finally it happens and it feels good. We want to be happy. We love feeling happy. We love that feeling. And if you want to be happy, we've got lots of options. So many options nowadays if you want to be happy. Uh, you go to Macca's and get a Happy Meal. Uh, <laughs> no regrets after that. Um, you can go to the pub for happy hour. Uh, no regrets either. Uh, there's hundreds of books on how to be happy. I've, I bought a bunch of them uh, last month and been reading all, all, all this stuff from this, this, what do we say, this, this week we say Happy New Year. The one thing we want people to have this year is to be happy. Happy New Year. That's the thing we want. We want happiness for each other. We want happiness for ourselves. Happiness is a strong motivator. It drives, I think, everything that we do in many ways. Uh, one of the books I was reading is this book, um, The Dopamine Nation by Dr. Anna Lemke. Uh, it's a book about our addiction to dopamine, that kind of happy chemical. And uh, she says this. She says, the, the pursuit of personal happiness has become the modern maxim, creating out other definitions of the good life. Even acts of kindness towards others are framed as a strategy for personal happiness. So we love to be happy. That's our driving force. Everything that we do is for that. Uh, there's a report that the World Happiness Institute brings out every year and they map, all, they, they map happiness across the world, across the globe, with a bunch of different factors. And according to them, world ha happiness in the world is a human right. They say the central task of institutions such as governments is to promote the behaviours and conditions of all kinds which are conducive to happiness. So what's the job of a government? The job, job of the government or institutions is to create happiness for its citizens. That's what they say. But it's hard to stay happy, isn't it? It's hard, to, it's hard to stay happy. It doesn't last. That dopamine in your brain wears off. And then, then you're left searching for the next thing, trying to find something else that's going to make you happy. I went to the beach yesterday at Port Kembla, and there's these mermaid pools that you can kind of jump in and swim around. And Jude, my 
son jumped in, and um, later his back was covered in uh, bites, uh, the, the sea lice in there. And so like, all last night he was scratching and asking us to scratch his back for him. And, and um, he was like, this is the thing, he scratches back and he's, fi- he's happy for uh, 10 seconds. And then he's asking you, coming back, can you... And I feel like that's us with happiness. We find something and it feels good and we feel like we've achieved it and then it, it quickly wears off and we're on to the next thing. It's temporary. It doesn't last. And if you want to feel happy for a moment, there's hundreds of ways to do that. Some of them good, some of them bad. But today I'm not talking about the emotion. I'm not talking about the emotion of happiness because I think in some ways that's easy to find, but it doesn't last. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is a harder thing to keep, which is more than just feeling happy, but it's kind of a bigger thing. It's like satisfaction, uh, fulfillment in life, uh, joy, contentment, uh, flourishing, that kind of happiness. That's the thing that I want to really dig into. And I'd love to explore how do we get that kind of happiness because that's the happiness that that is long-term. According to the Happiness Report, Australians are less happy than we used to be 10 years ago. Depression rates are the highest they've ever been uh, worldwide. New cases of depression have increased 50% between 1990 and 2017. 50% they've increased. Anxiety is up, especially in in developing countries, developed countries. Um, Princeton economists uh, they did a, a report that showed that middle-aged white Americans without a university degree <clears throat> are dying younger than their parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. And the top leading causes in these deaths are overdoses, alcohol-related liver disease, and suicide, uh, which they've labelled deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. Suicide is an all, all-time high, which is tragic. We're not, we're not happy. We're not going well. We have more than ever before, but why aren't we happy? We're, we're, I think we're in this happiness crisis. We don't seem to know what to do about it. So what I want to talk about this morning and what we're going to see from the Bible a little bit later is how to be truly happy, how to have that lasting satisfaction, deeper satisfaction, lasting happiness. I'm going to look at three different ideas for how to achieve happiness, two from our world, two common ones, and I think how, how they fall short, and then I'd like, like to see what God says about happiness. And normally at Salt, we preach, we have a book of the Bible, we preach through it chunk by chunk over a month or two. Uh, today, we're just going to be looking at a few different verses about happiness. And what we're going to see is that God has a better way to be happy. So pray with me, ask for his help, and then we'll jump into it. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you, that you are the creator of the universe, and you've given us uh, insight into what it looks like to live in your world. We pray that you'd help us, help us to understand this really important topic. Uh, We pray that through this, you'd help us to find true and lasting happiness. Amen. Well, two ways that our world says to be happy. Uh, The first one, I think this is a big one, uh, first method for happiness is to maximize pleasure, minimize pain. I reckon that's a big one. And this uh, this sounds like a few different phrases you might hear. Uh, Do whatever makes you feel happy that kind of phrase, or find what you love and pursue it, Uh, surround yourself with with positive people, live your truth. These are all kind of phrases that really just about maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain, which is common. You might have heard people say this, it's a common thing. Maybe this is your life goal. This This is how you live. Do whatever makes you feel good. So find a job you enjoy, hang out with people you like, do fun things. If you like traveling, then travel. If you like music, go to concerts. If you like the outdoors, go bushwalking, do whatever you want. Uh, we do our laundry because 
that makes us happy. You know, not, not directly, but we don't want to wear stinky clothes our whole life. And so we, we, it's a bit slightly more long-term happiness, but that's what, even everything we do is for, for happiness. Uh, the problem is that that kind, of, that kind of behavior, that kind of chasing happiness, is, it's not healthy. Because we can end up chasing these cheap, feel-good methods of, of feeling happy. And we have new access to anything that we want to make us feel good. We get trapped in this cycle of kind of dopamine addiction. Uh, our brain releases this little happy chemical and we feel good, uh, but it doesn't last and we're on to the, the next thing. Uh, the Dopamine Nation, the book, says that our brains are not evolved for this world of plenty. Our brains are evolved in, a, in an environment of scarcity where you have to find things and hunt and all that kind of thing. Um, and Dr. Dunakan is quoted saying, we are like cacti in the rainforest. Uh, we're like cacti in the rainforest, cacti adapted to an arid climate, and yet we're drowning in dopamine. So it's not healthy. Now, the problem is it's, it's not possible to sustain either. Because what do you do when things are difficult? If you're trying to maximize pleasure in your life, what do you do when things aren't pleasurable? What do you do? Do you just quit your job and leave your marriage and leave your kids or do whatever? Like, what, what do you do when things are hard? What do you do when inflation goes up and you can't do the things you enjoy anymore? I think that's why depression rates are so high and we, we, we're not sure what to do. Do you just grit your teeth and bear it and just hope? Cross your fingers that things are going to get better. If your happiness is based on all these external factors, it won't last. Now, or you turn into a jerk. Um, you can turn into a jerk. Uh, I was reading an advice column from the Washington Post. People writing in, asking what they should do in relationships and different things. And um, there was this, this one. Uh, um, a man woke up, he realised he wasn't happy in his life and so what should he do? He should pursue happiness. And so he went travelling for a, a six months, which is fine, except that, that meant he left his wife and his newborn kid at home and got a divorce uh, and went travelling and uh, found a new house, place to live, got a new job, new city, made new friends, new casual relationships. Uh, and his wife was left at home and she moved in with her parents uh, she's not doing well, uh, didn't help with the kids and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he was worried. He was writing into the advice column, what should I do because my wife's life looks so sad? How do I help her? Uh, I'm thinking, you jerk. <laughs> you jerk. You, you left your wife. Now, whether she's living with her parents because she's probably like having a, like an anxiety attack or something. Like, it's all your fault. The reason her life looks sad is because you abandoned your kid and your wife and trying to travel and everything, you idiot. And the columnist says a similar thing. It just kind of slams him for shirking his responsibility. But what was the problem? Because he was really just doing the things that he's told to do. If you're not happy, do what makes you happy. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, I think deep down we know it's not actually good. There's the, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what just make you happy doesn't really work in reality because pain is inevitable. Pain's inevitable uh, and it's virtually impossible to create a better life if you're not prepared to have some uncomfortable feelings. Uh, it falls short. So we need to dig a little bit deeper. That surface level doesn't really work. We need to dig a bit deeper and find something bigger to build our happiness on. And that's the second method. The second method is to aim for long-term happiness. Uh, don't try and avoid pain. Uh, push through that for a bigger goal. Uh, so there's a book, the, uh, the Happiness Trap, 
that I've been reading, um, which is a good book, helpful, helpful book. Uh, and there's a quote here. It says, when we clarify what we stand for in life and start acting accordingly, behaving like the sort of person we really want to be, doing the things that matter deep in our hearts, moving in life, direct, moving in life directions we consider worthy, then our lives become infused with meaning and purpose and we experience a profound sense of vitality. This is not some fleeting feeling and is a powerful sense of a life well lived. This is a book, not a Christian book, uh, but the book goes on to say, don't chase feelings, don't chase happiness because you're not going to find it. It's always going to be elusive. Uh, and th- those things are going to come and go instead. Move towards the life that you want and on that way you'll find happiness as you, as you go. Um, so some really selfful stuff there, worth reading if you're struggling with particularly difficult thoughts and feelings, and um, especially when it comes to long-term happiness. Uh, it's based on the um, acceptance and commitment therapy practice, which is a, a well-regarded psychological, um, psych- psychology uh, practice. Uh, so there's a uh, helpful, helpful book. And I think coupled with some of the other stuff we're going to look at, uh, I think can be really helpful. But on its own, I think it falls short. On its own, that kind of thinking of just choose something big and aim for that in life, I think even that, it's better, but I think even then it falls short. Because you can live your life for deeper things, but that don't necessarily bring ultimate happiness and fulfillment either. Like, what if you choose the wrong thing? Uh, or, or even the thing that you, you build your whole life towards, if you get there and realize that actually didn't, you've wasted your life. Now, there's countless people who have achieved their dreams. Their whole life's work has been to go towards something and they've done it, and they're just unhappy. They're, they die unhappy. So how can we... Alexander the Great, one of the great conquerors in the world. Uh, he conquered the known world. Everything in the world was conquered. He'd done what he'd set out to achieve. His life's work was achieved, accomplished. And what did he do? It said that he sat in his tent and cried because there was no worlds left to conquer. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't satisfied. He was left depressed. Or Elvis Presley. The biggest, most successful musician in his time and still the biggest selling solo artist of all time, even now. He achieved everything. His life pursuit, he worked incredibly hard to be a successful musician. And he got there. And he, he was still unsatisfied. He, 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 he was depressed, sad. He turned to drugs to dull the pain. And he said, I'd rather be unconscious, unconscious than miserable. It wasn't enough. And yet we still think, no, 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 the thing I'm aiming for will make me happy. That, you don't understand. I, I can do it. I can get there. It's, everything's going to be good. Whatever it is, that job or that relationship or that, that home or that bigger boat. I've got a boat, but it's too small. The bigger boat will make me. Whatever it is, though, that thing, that thing in life, if I, if I, you don't understand. If, if this thing, I, I'm sure, will make me, it won't. There was an article this week, a uh, happiness study that started 85 years ago. It's just been published. After 85 years, it's a long, long article, a long, long um, study, and they followed 700 people, over 700 people, for 85 years to determine what is the good life. What does a good life look like? And they did a bunch of research and followed these people and worked out. Uh, and it wasn't career. The answer wasn't wealth. It wasn't health. It wasn't things. It wasn't material stuff. They concluded it was deep relationships solid relationships that's what the people that were most happy at the end of the time they were the ones who had solid relationships which I think that's better I think that's better than material things because God has made us to be relational people and so there is truth to that 
But I think even then we need to be careful because making something in this life your ultimate goal, I think will ultimately crush it. So you hear of children who are burdened by their parents' expectations. Parents who have wanted, people who have wanted to have kids for a long time finally have kids and they're so fraught with anxiety and worry they just suffocate their kids and it doesn't go well. Or spouses, they've wanted to be married for so long and all their hopes and expectations is resting on that person and it doesn't work. Because when our hope, our identity, our happiness is based on other people uh, and then things go bad or they disappoint us and they let us down, which they will, we're left feeling empty and angry and annoyed and it doesn't work. So solid relationships are important, but it's unfair to place all of our hopes and expectations and and dreams on another person because that's not going to work. We need something that can handle the weight of all of our hopes and all of our dreams and expectations. But the advice is good. I think the advice is good and this this book has some good advice. Set your life towards a big thing that's going to make you happy, your life's achievement. Not the day-to-day small stuff, something big and central, but it's important to make sure that you're aiming your life at the right thing because if you get that wrong, you're going to die miserable. I think the reason we can't find satisfaction is because we often choose the wrong thing. We're pointing our life in the wrong direction. We, we find things that we think we need, but we don't actually need them, we just want them. And it turns out it wasn't actually a need, it was just something we wanted and it's, and it's empty. Uh, but it's hard because we can't often tell the difference between something we want and something we need. They, look, they often look the same. So how do, we, how do we know what to work towards for our life? Sometimes we need someone to show us. We need someone to tell us what, which is which, which is what we see in Mark chapter 2. We see this in Mark chapter 2 with Jesus. Early in Jesus' ministry, he meets a man who comes to him with what he thinks is his biggest need in life. Actually, flip it open. If you've got a Bible, um, flip it open. Mark chapter 2 says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this is his hometown, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, drinking, uh, not drinking, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. He said to them, what are you, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So the paralyzed man uh, this is brought to Jesus. Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't get there himself. His, his friends carry him. And he thinks his biggest need in life is to be able to walk, I imagine, uh, which is not surprising. Uh, if, if, there's some, if, you, if you were paralyzed, I imagine that is the thing that you lie in bed thinking about. What would I do if I could walk? 
where are all the places I would run? I wouldn't walk anywhere. Why does everyone walk everywhere? I'd run everywhere. I don't know. You dream. You think about what, what, imagine what I feel. And then this guy comes to town who can heal and can give you the thing that you, that you really need. And what do you do? You get your friends to take you along to Jesus and you ask him to... And he gets brought to Jesus, but Jesus knows better. He doesn't fix his legs. He forgives the man's sins. He forgives the man's sins because Jesus knows there's actually a much bigger thing that this man needs. It's not to walk. It's to have a relationship with God. I don't know what was, the man was thinking. Maybe he was disappointed, like, um, like my legs. <laughs> um, but Jesus knows better. Jesus knew the biggest need was to have a relationship with God, and that's what Jesus gives the man. And that's the third way to achieve happiness. The third thing that I want to spend a little bit more time thinking through, that eternal happiness comes from God. Uh, God tells us that the key to happiness, lasting happiness, is found through him. We'll come back to Mark 2, but let's have a look at Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, because what we'll see is that it all depends on where your roots are planted. So Psalm chapter 1. So this is the Old Testament. The Psalms are a, a book of, a collection of songs that God's people, the Israelites, sang. Sang to God, sang to each other uh, about God. And this is the first of all the Psalms, and it says this. Verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So firstly, Jesus here tells us, or God here tells us, sorry, Happiness is possible. You might have been hearing this, and this is your experience, that I've tried everything. I'm not happy. I don't think it's even possible to be happy. You've given up. You've given up chasing happiness. You've given up pursuing happiness. Well, no, we're told here, firstly, that it is possible to be happy. It is possible. We've just been looking in the wrong place. Because we've got that that word blessed, the first word there. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. That word blessed... Uh, it can mean two things. When talking, to, when talking to God, blessing God, it can mean praise and worship. Praising God, blessing God. But when talking about people, it means happiness. It means satisfaction. It means fulfillment. So God's saying the happy person is the one who lives God's way, who follows God. The happy person, they're the blessed person, they're the satisfied, they're the fulfilled person, is the one who follows God. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water. So just think about that for a moment. A tree planted by a stream. That's a big deal. Uh, in our house, we've got a bunch of pot plants and half of them look like they're dying. Actually, half of the pot plants around here look like they're dying because the staff have been away for, haven't been here during the week and water them. Um, that's the thing. You've got to keep watering a plant, otherwise it dies, unless it's planted next to a stream. Like a tree outside is fine when it rains, right? But when it doesn't rain, the tree's in, pro- in trouble. But a tree planted by a stream doesn't matter whether it's raining or not because its roots always have water. It's important because the tree, 100 metres away, planted in the desert, it only, it's only happy when it rains. That's a song. Um, but it's a, it, when it's raining or not, like, 
This tree planted by a stream, always provided for, and we're told in season and out of season. I think that's the second thing worth noticing, that there's still seasons. There's still seasons. doesn't say it's always going to be fruitful. It doesn't say it's always going to be easy. It doesn't say the life planted in God is always going to be easy. There will be hard times. There are seasons. There are good times. There are bad times. But you're able to endure them. The blessed man, the happy man who has a relationship with God can endure those seasons, can endure the drought because they're in God. That's the blessed person. That's the happy person. Long-term happiness. Happiness not found in circumstance. Happiness not just doing well when it's raining. Not this person. The person in Psalm 1, their source of happiness is eternal. It's, it's, they've got this eternal joy. They're flourishing. Their life is flourishing because of God. Eternal happiness through following the creator of the universe. Even in the midst of terrible tragedy and grief, even in hard seasons, God is still looking after us. God is still with us. God still loves us. You can still have joy in those moments. You can still have joy in those moments because you've planted, like a tree, planted next to a stream. Uh, I saw this on Instagram and, and shared it with Karis. Um, the past 30 years, I've been following Jesus, lots of ups and downs in life. Uh, and there's hard times. And there's, my wife and I, we've had hard times in our family, and I'm sure many of us here who have been a Christian for a little while have experienced that too. Uh, I found this relevant. Uh, leaving 2019 and then um, uh, entering 2019. <laughs> Might not be able to see it, but uh, stark contrast. And it feels like that sometimes. Things are good, and then a few years later, things have been really hard. You have a really hard season. But Karis and I have found deep joy in God in the midst of those really hard times. Because a relationship with the God who made us, he's our, our constant stream of, of flowing water. And he's sustained us through those, those difficult moments. And so there's been ups and downs. But God's been the constant. And even through those moments, we've been able to have joy. So how do we do that? What does it look like, though, to actually have this relationship. What does that look like? Well, back to Jesus uh, and the paralyzed man, because Jesus doesn't just heal the man. Jesus doesn't just say, heal him and say, hey, now you can walk, come and follow me. I'm going to spend the next three years and you can follow me around. Uh, Jesus does something crucial first. Now, this is the key to how we can be the blessed person in Psalm 1. Jesus forgives the man's sins. We see that in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. It's the first thing Jesus does. Uh, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the man couldn't follow Jesus because of his sin. Sin, that, that's just the wrong things that we've done. The wrong things we've done against God, against other people, that's sin. And the Bible describes sin like a curse. A curse that's taken over our world, a plague. And God is holy, God is perfect, and our sin blocks us, it prevents us from having a, a relationship with God. It pre prevents us from loving Him because He's holy and He's perfect and we're not. And yet Jesus washes people of their sin, washes people of their guilt and their shame. He breaks the curse of sin that was on holding over our world. It's like he sucks out the poison out of a snake bite. 
and it kills him. He dies on a criminal's cross in our place because of our sin. And so all the wrong things that the paralyzed man had done could be forgiven, could be cleaned away. All the wrong things that we've done can be forgiven. Our sin was preventing us from having a relationship with God, from, with the, the Father, the creator of the whole universe. And the one thing that would give us lasting happiness is a relationship with him, but we couldn't have it because of our sin. But Jesus saw that. He comes into our world. He takes away our sin. He wipes it clean. He breaks the curse. Removes our sin. So now we can follow God. We can follow him, which is good news. It's good news. And it's the kind of news that you may not feel that dopamine hit in your brain when you hear the gospel, but it gives you long-lasting joy, knowing that no matter what happens, you have a creator who loves you and who died so that you could have a relationship with him. That's good news. And so how does the man respond? Well, Jesus tells the man to pick up his mat and walk, and the man does. And the man goes home. We're told that everyone saw the miracle and everyone glorifies God and praises God for what, what he's done. Uh, Luke's gospel account of this same story adds an extra detail that the man also glorifies and praises God as well in response, which isn't surprising. That's the correct response. When you're saved by Jesus, we glorify God. We live lives of obedience in response to him. We follow him. We don't just go off and go back to doing our own thing. We are now following Jesus, living lives of obedience, which might sound like the opposite of happiness, having to live a life of obedience, Uh, but it's not because following God and living his ways, that's what we're designed to do. That's what we were designed for. Our creator designed us to have a relationship with him and to follow him, and now we get to actually do that. That's what Psalm 1 tells us, is the blessed person is the one who's obedient to him. That's the, the tree planted by the streams of water, someone who follows God. And, and you might be a Christian him. here tonight. Freedom. You might, this freedom might not be particularly new to Christ. you. You've been following Jesus for a little while, but you feel like you're losing that joy. Maybe you're starting to look for other places for happiness, kind of drifting your view away from God to other things, putting your roots out into other things, obeying God less and less. If that's you, if you're feeling that, come back to him, follow him. Remember that God is better than anything else you could look for. Anything else you might be tempted to to chase instead. Remember, God is better than any of that. And once you see the bigness and the goodness and the glory of God, it makes sense why those other things don't satisfy. Because they're so small. They're so small in comparison to how big God is. Our career, our family, Whatever it is, those things all feel really big, but actually compared to God, they're just small. It's no wonder they don't give long-lasting satisfaction. But here's the surprising thing. When you live your life for God, you still find happiness in the small things, in the things of this world, like you never could before. It's a bonus. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, who wrote Narnia and Blind the Witch in the Wardrobe and a bunch of great Christian books, um, uh, he says this, recommend this book to you. This is Mere Christianity. Uh, He says this, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So I think that's a great quote. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. When you're following God, you get the pleasures of this, the joy of this world, the little things. You get that. If If you're chasing the joys of this world, you don't get the big stuff as well. So following God, it's good. It's good. The things of this world don't satisfy 
whether you're trying to maximize pleasure or minimize pain or trying to live for one big thing, we don't find lasting happiness. The problem is that there's nothing in this world like that, nothing good enough to meet our need for happiness. And C.S. Lewis again says this quote, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only, only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. There's a reason we can't find happiness in this world. There's a reason we can't find lasting, long-term joy in material things. Because we weren't made for this world. You were not made for this world. You were made for God, for eternal things. You were made for Him, for the eternal things that bring us lasting happiness. Those things are not in this world. It's God, a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father and His Son, who saw our biggest need, came down to heaven and gave it to us. So the offer of forgiveness and eternal life is there. We can have it. You can be like that tree planted by a stream. It provides complete and lasting satisfaction, not just temporary fleeting dopamine hits. We can have complete and lasting satisfaction in God. Will you accept it? Will you accept it? How about I pray? How about I pray, give thanks to God, and I pray for us. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you. And we thank you that you know us. That you know what will make us happy, what will give us eternal, complete satisfaction. That you don't leave us to our own devices, floundering around. But you came into our world to save us, to reveal yourself to us, to remove our sin through Jesus so that we can follow you, so we can have life through you and we can flourish satisfaction in life through Jesus. So we thank you for that. I pray for my friends here who are still thinking these things through. I pray that you'd be revealing yourself to them and we pray that you'd help all of us to find our satisfaction and our joy in you most of all. Amen. Amen.